Alrighty, Pints of Popcorn Podcast coming at you here. Uh, a spoiler warning for two films today. Uh, we did something a little different today um, in light of everything going on and uh, also just being big, both being big fans of Spike Lee's filmography, we decided to look at both Do the Right Thing and Black Klansman, um, a real book in a real kind of wide swathe of his career um, and did both of them today. Uh, we start off with talking about Do the Right Thing in the first half and then Black Klansman in the second half. Uh, so if you haven't seen either of those films, uh, you know, if you've seen one and you want to listen to half and then go back, come back, you know, you can just uh, find the break and then, uh, you know, but yeah, easiest thing would be to see both because then you can enjoy the full chat in one thing. Uh, so yeah, the usual spoiler warning. Um, again, we're talking about both of them, just uh, we're trying to, as we navigate our way through this uh troubling time in the world and hopefully a time of uh, positive change when we look back on it in future years, we wanted to try and celebrate film by someone who has really used his voice in film to to highlight issues that um shouldn't you know shouldn't need highlighting we should just really be cognizant of them but it is hard in this world where there's so many people that want to deny these issues exist and and believe in a in a perfect utopian world that just has never existed and and spike lee's really used his filmmaking prowess and his storytelling um mastery too highlight the issues that um, that we're now seeing really played out on a worldwide stage with the protests um, justifiably for Black Lives Matter and has turned into a greater a greater thing now with um, a real eye to, um, you know, uh, truly acknowledging dark histories that um, we've, we've talked about in this podcast before. So, um, yeah, we just wanted to celebrate Spike Lee's filmography a bit and, and it just seemed just the time, it's the only way we could figure out how to, uh, get into talking about it um, in in the context of film. So, uh, yeah, we we try to you know we talk about it as best as we can. Obviously, being um, very mindful of the issues and trying to speak about them in the right way. Um, not that if anything, if anything comes off, I think we we do a great job. But um, we are very very empathetic to the situation going on, and our full support is behind the movement for equality and Black Lives Matter and, and kneeling and everything that goes with it. Um, we are absolutely 100% behind it and want to be actively helping um, in any way we can um, to be, not just say that we uh, want to do something, but actually help by, you know, promoting promoting the idea of equality and anti-racism and, and the Black Lives Matter movement and all movements that work in uh, with, with that uh, idea of equality. So, yeah. I have talked through a little bit too long already, as I usually do when I do an intro like this, but uh, I just wanted that put out there. I'll quickly note that in the show notes, you will see the donation card for the Black Lives Matter um, website, which is a, a card that not just for Black Lives Matter, but um, links to different donation pages, memorial funds, uh, places that you can sign petitions, different, uh, it's a real great like rundown of every, every every different way you can go in and find different ways to help, whether it be by signing petitions, donating, and different different ways that you can enact some activism on your part, um, whichever way you can, um, and even just resources for trying to f- uh, discover more and learn more. Um, yeah, uh, that's about it from me. But yeah, we'll get into the podcast and just uh, just remember to keep keep doing what you can to um, keep this fight moving forward. And uh, hopefully, we can look back on this in future years and, and think about it as a as a hard time, but a time that we we found. Uh, a true direction forward for um, the betterment of all in society. Ooh, we. Yes, 
gonna be a scorcher today. Universal Pictures presents a new film from Spike Lee. Good morning, Miss Mother's sister. Now, Mookie, don't work too hard today. The man says it's gonna be hot as the devil. I've been here 25 years. LaSalle's famous pizzeria is here to stay. Trust me. Mookie, the last time I trusted you, we ended up with a son. I know you can't stand it. You can't stand it. Hey, hey, Sal, I'm gonna burst on the wall here. You want brothers on the wall? Love. Get your own place, you can do what you want to do. What I tell you about that noise? What I tell you about them pictures? You got some brother talk to him. You the man. No, you the man. No, you the man. No, you the man. The first time you turn your back, boom. Ah! Right here, man, in the back. Y'all take a chill. You'd like to sign a petition to boycott Sal's famous pizzeria? Hear me, what you ought to do is boycott that no good barber that messed up your head. And that's the double truth. You know, deep down inside, I think you wish you were black. <laughs> Who told you to step on my sneakers? Who told you to walk on my side of the block? Who told you to be in my neighborhood? I own this brownstone. Who told you to buy a brownstone on my block in my neighborhood on my side of the street? I can't even hear myself think! From Spike Lee. Director of School Days, and she's gotta have it. Good people, please! If we don't stop this and stop it now, we're gonna do something we're gonna regret for the rest of our lives. Doctor? Come on, what? What? Always do the right thing. That's it? That's it. I got it. I'm gone. Alrighty, Pints and Popcorn podcast back with you for another week. Um, actually, when you hear this one, um, it'll be released shortly after. I've still got to release our Uncut Gems one, but it'll be released shortly after that one. We have taken a couple of weeks kind of off from a lot of uh, our usual stuff. I've I've only put one thing on the socials since um, all this uh, the turmoil really around the world has started um, in the wake of George Floyd's tragic murder um, at the hands of the Minneapolis Police Department. Um, Which is just... now disbanded. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and we're very happy about <clears throat> that. Defund the police. Um, but, yeah, we just we decided – we recorded the Uncut Gems episode last week, but then we just both made a conscious decision that we just – going to take a break from it for a little bit um, as far as just pushing it because it just felt like the moment to let um, you know the social, social media and everyone everyone's thoughts stay with one thing and I my thoughts were with that um, certainly I know yours were too and it just felt right to just take a step back from what we were doing and um, and just focus on that but we're back at it today but we did uh, decide that um, as our thoughts continuously stay with all this going on around the world that we'd um, use the moment to uh, celebrate um, a filmmaker that's got his um, his uh, finger very much on the pulse of and had it on the pulse for a long time as what the one of the two films we're going to do a little something different than discuss two of uh, Spike Lee's films um, do the right thing from way back in 19 when when you and I were little tiny little pups uh, back in the I was 19- just born yeah, yeah. yeah. 1989 it's <laughs> a, a great start to that film yeah and I was yeah I was uh, I'm an 88 baby so you know I was very 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 young little pup um, crawling around in the kangaroo pouch out of here uh, <laughs> and uh, and then um, a really really recent film that kind of bookends uh, a lot of Spike Lee like 
it's a really interesting career. Like not that his career's over. Um, he's got a new film coming out soon, but the book yeah, ends at should... the moment. Um, almost. Well, there's I think there's a couple before do the right thing, but do the right thing and Black Klansman kind of are really cool. Uh, you know, from eighties to now, arc of um, his continuous. Uh, you know, activism through film um, and just really just hitting the nail on the head about everything that's going on um, then and now um, and we'll get into it a bit more and kind of, you know, just tie our thoughts into what everything is going on. Um, we'll try to be, I mean, you know, we're a couple of guys um, that do <laughs> have grown up with inherent white privilege and we're very accepting of that and so we're going to try and talk about the films, um, you know, we've... Um, as best we can, but obviously we don't have um, experience to back it up. We were just um, talking about them from the whole historical context and how we understand the events that are going on now, which, um, as we said, we're um, standing very much uh, side by side with the people that are fighting the good fight for Black Lives Matter and, and just the fight for justice and equality um, that has, as we said in this podcast, a different reference to different things in the world that this world, um, our countries and world are really need to come to a reckoning with um, our dark and horrible past of subjugation of uh, people, you know, minorities and people of colour and um, really uh, white people dominating the world in a very brutal fashion. So these two films do a great job of kind of just talking about those issues um, and, you know, not just, you know, very with a lot of nuance as well. Um, I guess starting to do the right thing, being his fir- the first one of the two films in his in his uh, biography. It's uh, it's amazing how it's unfortunate, and it's also amazing how well it holds up now. Um, as far as everything feeling so current, which is incredibly tragic, but also shows how how long this uh, I, this problem has existed in American culture, and um, obviously. I've said it on a, a social post about this whole thing. It's not just an American problem, but in, in the context of the, talking about the films, it is we're talking about it and from the American lens. Um, yeah, it's it's unreal how how current it is, even though this films are now you know thirty years thirty one years old. Yeah, I, and it's crazy how much it has reflected society in the last four years. It, it feels like we were in a different place before Trump took over. It really did. Mm-hmm. Um, we've, we've talked about it a bunch off air and online and everything, but uh, I mean, racists are emboldened by him. So I think that's also why this movie feels so relevant is racists aren't afraid to show their racism like they used to be. Mm-hmm. And we need to get back to a place where not only that they're afraid, <laughs> to be bold about their extremely ignorant and backwards opinions, but also that they just don't think that way. Mm-hmm. We need to find a way to do that. And um, I don't know if do the right thing is that's the message of it. Um, I think the message of it was more was just shining the light so people could see it. Um, and it, it accomplished that same with black Klansman. same with every Spike Lee movie. I mean, I think he, I mean, he makes his points pretty boldly so <laughs> they're hard to miss yeah yeah i talk about brave brave filmmaking on this podcast a lot um i never meant it to be a cliche but i realize i say it all the time now so i guess it is <laughs> yeah. um it's just one of my well things, we but... pick we pick brave filmmakers some people aren't brave yeah yeah so that's what <laughs> that's what spike does is he uh 
he doesn't he doesn't want to mince his words. He's you know obviously coming out um, and talking about these kind of issues. You need to be open and honest about them and do the right thing. Does a lot of that with um you know it's really a day in the life. I mean it, it literally is it a literally day, is, a day yeah. in the life of um the neighborhood down there in Brooklyn um and just and that's what we experienced it as. And so it's not so much um like you said it's not like anything like directly about the moment we're living in, but just the events that happen because they end up being the same things that we're experiencing now with uh, everything that's going on because of just the, the the endemic and systemic racism that is just built into the entire system no matter where we are. It doesn't matter how the issue comes about. It's going to be the same result because of the system that has, you know, built up this country. Um, I say this country as I sit in Australia, but... It works for me. It works for me too. But the system that's built up this country and that that country for a couple of hundred years um, is built on that is built on that racism. Um, you know, policing as a you know as a has always been built on race because it was you know slave patrols and you know it's always you know always been something that's targeted race. Just um, you know subconsciously, even if a police officer doesn't realize it, it's and so. We see that and do the right thing and, um, you know, they just, they go too far because it's just something that they, they subconsciously think they need to do. And some of them very overtly know it as well, but it's, um, that's what um, scared me watching it again with the unfortunate um, murder of George Floyd and fresh in my mind was watching that scene happen and um, realizing that, you know, I I know plenty of these stories have happened over the history of uh, policing and um, injustice in um, the uh, targeting of uh, black people in America by police. But it's it's crazy seeing a filmmaker portray it. So it's not similar in the sense, you know, he's, you know George Floyd was just being detained by kneeling, but it was still um, death by asphyxiation uh, of Radio Raheem's character, and it's seeing that happen and just just the correlation of it and even the other cops standing they're going like they at, at least the cops and the one of them was trying you know yelling you go right. you're going too far which someone um should have told uh Derek Siobhan the same thing um in the eight minutes that he was doing that but right um yeah it just shows how obviously Spike Lee had you know he wrote this film in two weeks and that's just something that came out of him because he, he knew it he knew Right. What, and, a lot of it felt yeah. personal. Yeah. yeah. I think another issue that he addresses in it as well is that it's not just black versus white, even though that's the mm-hmm. overarching stereotype. There's that little scene, which again is like in 1989 revolutionary filmmaking where they just go around to like a person of each race and that person of that race is like um, yelling uh, derogatory things about a different race. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think, uh, the one of the white guys is saying stuff about Puerto Ricans. One of the Puerto Rican guys says something about um, black people. Um, one, the, one of the black guys says something about the Koreans. So mm-hmm. that was really revolutionary at the time. And it just shows that like, while white people are the biggest um, purveyor of racism, and especially the institutional kind that you can't necessarily see unless you study it, but that, because of that racism, it's kind of been instilled in other people that it's okay, I guess, mm-hmm. almost in a way, and that then it's just a cycle that can that's continuous. So, 
Spike Lee once again ahead of ahead of his time. Yeah, and especially when um, that whole neighborhood is is dealing with the effects of you know segregation by you know like the way history basically segregated from people. Yeah, so so all <laughs> these all, all these different cultures are being mixed put into one neighborhood, and um, you know they have to coexist, and they do have a relationship, but it's fra- it's fractitious, I guess is the way to put it, is that. You know, um, it's always bubbling under the surface that you know if you get a hundred degree day and everyone's right. no one's got good air conditioning because part of you know part of the systemic racism in the country is that the areas of areas of the country that are you know relegated to being that's where you guys can you people can live um, and I say you people in the sense of that's what they would be saying um, the, right. the racist people that that the, right. the system that dictates this um, yeah all the services that we, um, the people, uh, privileged people around the world, um, you know, air conditioning, I don't know it's 89, so it's, you know, we have it better now um, as far as air conditioning goes, but still neighbourhoods don't have that. So you, you've got this neighbourhood that doesn't have the services to help people stay cool in a 100-degree day, so they're all, you know, tempers flare. I think he said part of the writing of the film was, you know, there was a lot of things that came into him writing the film, but one of them was like this idea that, um, you know, on hot days that people just, you know, get uh, angrier because you, you just fright, you sweat and you're uncomfortable. You're just pissed off all day. Um, and you yeah. can, and any, you just have a shorter fuse. Yeah. So any, any situations can just bubble that much further. Like, like, so, cause it sounds like, so we can go to the story of the film a bit, like bu- bugging out looks like he goes to get slices of pizza regularly. Because he's bitching about right. the, bitching about the cheese, and you know Sal says, right. you know, "It's the same every day." You know this, like, why are you fucking with me? And then he he picks that day to have a crack about the lack of people of um, of black people on the wall of fame in the restaurant. So he's seen yeah. the wall before, but maybe it's the it's the hundred degree day that finally, and he's already just frustrated because he hasn't got the cheese he wants. And Sal's being, you know, Sal's being a bit more curt, like short with him with the taking the palms on away because he's probably hot and bothered by people being you know him bitching at him about the cheese and so it's all these right. little you know little bits of the hot day and they and those situate those feelings bubbling under the surface that are um you know um all coming together it is super annoying when you make food for a person and they just immediately critique it like yeah. when you're working at a restaurant and you're like oh, okay but uh it's also frustrating to go in and expect something and not get what you ordered. But um, I think they both could have handled the situation better yeah. and maybe been <laughs> so on edge. But, and I'm going to say that a lot. but Because um, I do think at the heart of it, I think Sal was a good guy. And I think that's why Mookie, in the end, shatters his window rather than letting you know that group kill him, basically. Mm-hmm. Which is what I think they probably would have wanted to do. Oh yeah, they and would, I think yeah. I think he would have been the unfair target of that. Maybe John Turturro should have got it, but <laughs> I think Sal actually did care about. I mean, he says and he says at the start that these um, this neighborhood's grown up on my food. Why would I move my pizzeria? Like I'm not gonna. Mm-hmm. Except he says it. I can't even say it. Like he says it. Pizzeria is pizzeria. It's just a yeah. soft, a soft Z's. Yeah, soft Z's. Sal, and then yeah, he also, Sal's like, family pizzeria. Yeah. and then he uh and he also gets mad at john Turturro later for in kind of the same scene he's mm-hmm. telling john Turturro why do you have to be like that he's not criti- criticizing him enough where a father could really step in and be like quit being a racist asshole but he's just saying like 
why are you so full of anger? And so he's not handling it the best way. But I do think Sal uh, just got away from him a little bit. And his son definitely got away from him. Because it seems like his other son is a, is a nice kid as well. But Totoro, something about him just went wrong. Yeah, he's an entitled piece of shit, I think, is it? He, he wants his dad to sell the business and they can open up somewhere where he wants to be. He doesn't like, he detests... What did he say? I detest this place like a sickness. Oh, you you hate it? Is that what you're saying? No, that's not what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm like, yes, you are. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. yeah, great. You know, great writing um, all the way through. I will well, like. Shows, yeah. I mean, it shows like how I don't know close-minded he is. It's because it's just because he's like getting made fun of by his friends. They talk about it like he mm. gets made fun of by his friends, so that's why he hates it. It's like, dude, grow up. Like, yeah, it's exactly. your family's business. And your dad's happy. Well, I don't know happy, but he's content. So yeah, he's ha- he's happy. He's like at the, just before um, everything kind of hits the fan a bit, and they're closed for that quick minute. And he's saying like, oh, "I'm going to change." You know, I'm going to change the name of the place because, and so he's actively looking forward to the next stage of the place. Um, and then he's saying, yeah. "Mookie, you've got a place here, or whatever." And um, and he lets the kids in late who like want to come right. Which would also piss me off as someone who worked in a restaurant. Yeah, it's like, yeah. Don't come in a minute before we close. But. Yeah, or after we've closed, door's locked. Yeah, yeah. But you know, but that's, he, that's what his, bus- his business is. He's like, he's the, you know, he's a cornerstone of that little neighborhood there. Um, he is the pizza shop, so you know, he he does that. That's what that's what family kind of mom and pop stores do. Is they they'll open up the doors to people they know um, at odd hours because if you're there and you can make a pizza, it's like yeah. You'll do it. So that's like a cool part of it. Um, yeah, yeah, you were saying Sal is nice, like a good guy at heart, I guess. It does show, I think the film does a really good job of kind of showing how systemic and subconscious racism does plague even people that, you know, they're kind of, I'm not racist um, people. Because Sal does when he still doesn't, He's got a stubbornness to him about the wall of fame. I, you know, he says, you know, it's I'm an, it's an I'm an Italian American. So there's like a stubbornness, and I get that because he's got his, this is his business, and he's got his pride in who he is. Um, and then bugging out's kind of like you know is chastising him in an unfair way. Like he's not being. Typical. I mean, his name is bugging out. Yeah, so it's like, <laughs> I I feel weird every time I say it because I'm just like it just feels <laughs> I'm like it doesn't feel like a name to say, but it is. Um, and you know, there's plenty of, you know, it's not like it's Elon Musk kid's name, so we're, we're fine. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, but yeah, he's, so they're kind of having an undiplomatic argument about it that doesn't really, you know, that's unfortunate because, you know, if he just said, Hey, like, it would be cool if we had, you know, it could have been done differently, but, um, but he, Sal does also have a stubbornness to not actually realize in the people he's you know he's serving the people and he likes them and he says i like these people i've grown up i've served them he through. also says some racist shit yeah that's well that's like what i was going to get to is second that nature when it comes out of you like that that easily um when radio raheem's in there with the radio and they find he south finally loses shit pulls out a baseball bat which is kind of um, yeah yeah that's like he's got a baseball bat that looks well used so is he you know he he's so much part of the neighborhood and respects the people around him, but does he actually understand them and respect them enough to to listen when they he really needs to listen? And that's what like 
this whole movement at the moment about actually being actively anti-racist is not just saying, hey, I like you and I respect you. Isn't that enough? It's like actually saying, no, we need to listen and learn. And when Radio Raheem, you know, Radio Raheem's just, you know, he's his own own guy. Um, he, yeah, I, I still don't totally understand his his character. Um, I know he shouldn't have been killed, obviously. Yeah, but yeah. So that must just he be just like loves a, it. He just loves that song, and he's he's kind of he's kind of silently just pushing the message the whole day, like you know. Right. So, um, and the, that song is so so much a key of the film. Um, and so yeah, the intro I, to the film is amazing. Yeah, I was going to get to that at some point. So. We will, because it's just uh, from a stylistic standpoint, it's great. But yeah, Sal, Sal doesn't. He's he's friendly, and he and he's and he's like actively helping, like you know, Demare, like when he comes in and says, "Have you got?" You know, he's like, "Oh, you drop this," and gives him his money, and like so, all these yeah. things are really great things he's doing. He's an active part of the community. You can't deny that. But as soon as you drop that facade and start pulling out a baseball bat and yelling end bombs. And that's when the guys that are in the store are saying, Oh, we're, we're that now, you know, like, yeah, that's yeah. like, you lose all that credibility because that means that's still inside of you. Well, and, obviously, yeah. yeah. And that's like, Absolutely. and so, and that's what Spike it was a deliberate move by him to show like Sal is a sympathetic character and someone who's very, uh, you know, with the community to a certain point. But then when it gets, you know, when the community challenges him over issues that, you know, that these issues that they come like, um, bugging out and ready or him are coming in with like they're different they're different aspects of the culture that they embrace and that's this culture that Sal's pizzeria is in like he's part of he's not he's gone in there and put this restaurant into this culture so he has to show more understanding to it and he's not in that moment and instead he actually lets fly with all those things that John Turturro would be quite proud of (laughs) watching his pop say which is unfortunate but yeah. Um. And that and that defeats that that like defeats everything because then it um obviously even if you hadn't smashed up Radio Raheem's radio none of that none of that stuff happens so it's true yeah uh, yeah I there's another scene that I think Spike speaks to something that's also beyond black and white racism but it's uh when the young when the young group is picking on Demare, um, I think that's like him. I think that's a critique of the black community a little bit. Is mm. it kind of is Spike saying like, look at how we treat our elders in in this uh, in this country? Um, and I thought that was an interesting thing to take away uh, from it because he included that scene for a reason. Obviously, it's just yeah. a bunch of young. kids. Picking on a guy that just wants to drink his Miller High Life, which you know I get, and I'm not even wearing a suit when I do it. So I absolutely thought of you when he was in the store going, "Where's the fucking Miller High Life?" I was like, "That's, that's <laughs> yeah. Shay when he walks into a, a store and doesn't have the beer." It's true. <laughs> you make, uh, you make they're mowing changes outside. beer. I don't know if he's picking it up. Yeah, exactly. I hate Miller Light too, so I would not be. <laughs> I would not be happy. I don't know if the mic's picking up the mowing outside. I can hear it's. It's not. It's not going to interrupt the the recording. Okay. There's always a bit of anything. Monday morning here, so it's yeah. time to mow. <laughs> um, yeah, and that's like I think that's what he's showing with this. The neighborhood is like you know, like like all all communities, um, whether it be you know, I I live in the stupid winemaking region here that is I I I hate so much of the clickiness and because it's all you know on the surface it's like oh we'll all support each other. There's a lot of people that just don't because it, everyone's different. 
Um, so that's at a human level and, and we don't, and it's a natural thing for, uh, different generations to just not understand the, the one before it or the one, the one after it, um, depending on, you know, if it's young people that don't get old people or old people that don't get young people, because we just don't, we naturally grow out of, um, keeping in touch with it. Um, I try to just know, like try to know everything that's going on at least, but I still don't understand stuff that kids are in like 18 year olds are into now because <laughs> right. I'm just not there anymore and I'll never will be so you know I try to keep an eye on like social trends to at least know what I'm seeing pop up on Twitter like when like Sorry. Fortnite when the Fortnite things started coming out I was like what the fuck is that and then it's just like oh it's a video game okay I get it like it's just a you know a video game trend so that's fine I don't, I'm not going to do it but I like at least get it but yeah it's just like yeah the misunderstanding de- between generations and um you know, respect and lack of respect is something that we all have to deal with at times. So, well, it just uh, seems like it. Yeah, and you just feel bad for the mayor because he's just he's getting by. He gives yeah. a shit. Like, I don't know. It's a frustrating scene for me. Um, the girl in the scene does seem pretty upset about her friend yelling at him. So that's nice. I don't know what Spike's intention with that scene yeah. is exactly, but that's what. Well, I, I think that's. Um, I'm trying to remember. I can't remember the exact words being yelled and but. I think it's just a misunderstanding of how they deal with the community because the mayor just kind of keeps a quiet watch, I guess. Whereas, you know, and that's kind of a... Yeah, he saves that kid's life. Yeah, and you know, and later on, he again, he he saves Sal's life as well and and, and the and Pino and Vito, is it? Pino and Vito, the um, boy? I was talking like Tatero that, yeah. And, um, yeah. Ben. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, he saves them as well because he's just... Whereas, and that's sometimes something that happens is like um, youthful energy. Youthful energy when it comes to kind of revolutionary ideas is to be more angry and and uh, break shit about things. Whereas you know, Demare is kind of you know he you know passes on to Mookie the message of the film, like you know do the right, always do the right thing. And then yeah, and he's just kind of wandering around. He's having his beer and um, keeping an eye on the neighborhood, and he's actively trying to protect and. And like engage the community to be better, but in his own way. Whereas the you know, they don't think he's doing anything because they all they all they see they don't see they don't have the su- subtlety subtle nuance of life experience to understand what he's doing is just approaching the same issue a different way. I guess. Absolutely. And that's something. And that's something you and I, you know, as we're growing up, you sometimes start realizing that you know how people are dealing with things. You see it differently when you get older and look back on it and realize that they, there was a bit more nuance to a situation that you just didn't understand enough at the time. Um, so maybe that's what he was going for with it. I'm not exactly sure, but certainly everyone, um, you know, we've, I've talked about it before with different films um, when they're written and directed and and put together as um, intricately as this. Uh, there's a reason for a lot of all of it that's on that, screen yeah. and yeah. I mean, I think there's a reason he used red so much for the walls. Um, it just really, you know, it it kind of fires up the the viewer. Yeah. It just naturally, you know, and also, kind of red kind of insights in it. And just yeah. shows and the, the, oppre- heat. the oppressive heat. Yeah. Yeah. So. I read. I was watching some behind the scenes stuff, and they actually had heat lamps under the cameras to add like the heat haze into the into the. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you're in a city like. In the summertime, it you get those heat waves, like you can see it. So I've, I think he really set the tone for it. Yeah, I've been to New York in August, and the, <sighs> just the concrete and the heat that just radiating is 
hot. And that was nowhere to go. Yeah. Like and a, we went there in like 100 degrees. It was like 80s and 90s. And it was, it's hot. It's hot enough. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And I come from Australia. It's, and it's a different kind of heat. Like, you know, when you're out in the middle of, middle of the Wop Wop here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Call back to Welcome to Wop Wop. The only podcast you hear about that. There's probably another one out there. But, um, it, I doubt you know, the heat, the way the heat radiates, <laughs> heat radiates differently off of concrete. So it's, I can imagine that, just like holds a, it. yeah, a hundred degree day, when you don't have the, you know, you know, stores don't have great air conditioning sometimes. When you get a few people in there, and it's just there's no way to escape it. Um, which I think is like the the fire hydrant scene is really key too to kind of showing the, you know, you do what that's like, you know, the police come and shut it off, and it's like. I guess I don't know if there was any deep thing going to it apart from this is how you deal with it in that kind of neighborhood. But I was like, there's a there's a human rights element to just being comfortable <laughs> and trying not to die and trying to keep cool. And if you can turn a fire hydrant on, you know, obviously the um, water issues is a completely separate thing as far as um, you know uh, environmental impacts of just blasting you know precious water all over the street. But people are just kind well, of trying, just to, the, trying to keep cool. Yeah, and just that the city hasn't budgeted to allow them to have a pool anywhere. Mm-hmm. So that's what yeah, go, have down, to go, go down to Coney Island. It's like, no, <laughs> why it's like, what? A, yeah, that's just ridiculous. But I mean, at least the cops do, um, not care when that guy gets a ton of water in his car. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and right. Yeah. They kind of like very dismissive and being like Joe and Mo. Oh, Joe and Mo who? Yeah. Joe and Mo black. I don't know. Oh, are they brother? <laughs> what are they brothers? And he's yeah, yeah. incredibly deadpan. Like, yeah, it's funny until they kill a guy later. Yeah. So, goddamn cops. Yeah. Um, but moment of silence. I was wait. I thought I you were. <laughs> I was gonna go somewhere um, with that, but I forgot. Um, it was interesting that Spike predicts global warming in the film. Mm. Um, talk about the melting of the polar ice caps. So uh, that was pretty cool. That's again revolutionary to talk about. Yeah, yeah. The eighties is years ahead know, of his time. You know, like climate science has been out there for a while for people, but and as far as public knowledge and publicly debated and publicly, you know, you know, people yell at each other about it, and people have like the same conversations those three guys have is the same conversation we still still having in the media now. Finally. Um, unfortunately, the people that deny it, but yeah, he's he says it straight out. He's just like the pot, the ice caps going to melt. These days are going to get more consistent, and the ice caps will melt, and everything will end up underwater. It's like, yeah, that's what's happening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just think that was like ahead of the time because back then it was all about the ozone layer and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I don't remember serious talks about global warming and climate change until. Early two thousands, I think, is when it started. I don't remember starting in any of my high school, but I was at a private Christian high school, so that probably makes sense. Um, <laughs> oh, you're just—I just meant like just like as a talking. No, that's just what I mean. I don't remember hearing about it at all when I was in high school. So, oh, like my like yeah, as an age in any of that age, I just don't remember. Like, I knew what, I'd heard the term global warming, and but I don't even climate change wasn't something I really heard of. You know, because like it was Al Gore's inconvenient truth that came was out. Was that before? Yeah, and that was when I was 16, so it was there, but it just wasn't talked about nearly right. as much now. And Maybe social media, maybe that's one of the benefits of social media and a detraction for the people that deny it, but um, one of the benefits is you just do see news all the time 
if you follow the right accounts on Twitter, then you'll see just all the right sciences and stuff. Um, if right. you follow the wrong ones, then that's just because you're an idiot with the Twitter account. But <laughs> um, yeah, it's it is interesting that 1989, a film that was discussing so many different things. Um, and again, I, I was I, I don't know if it was exactly what he's going for, but it does seem like it, it's a, a subtle nod to the um, socioeconomic impact of climate change on people that don't have the you know you know people that can the, uh, yeah, yeah right. people that have the means to to shelter and insulate themselves from it because unfortunately and they know, systematically don't have the means because yes. the system is against them so exactly. which is what the whole movie is kind of about so yeah you think it's just a throwaway line the first few times you see it but you know mm. now in 2020 when global warming or I, I need to call it climate change i still call it global warming but um when climate change is just knocking on our door, and that's a polite way of putting it, yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it seemed like a throwaway line, but now it's very real. And it's, and I mean, just the fact that a throwaway line from '89, like Spike was even on it back then, mm. uh, pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah. Um, you mentioned you mentioned before about the uh, start of the film, how it just opens up with Rosa Perez in a debut performance, just dancing away yeah. to uh fight the power and it's such a yeah. it sets the film up perfectly for the energy and the kind of even just spikes shooting style um oh absolutely like yeah. you know real smash close-ups of the face and then like what you know it's just really really well done obviously the dan- the just wearing the- boxers gear at one point you yeah. know it's like just really aggressive and mm. yeah it just gets you in the and that song's aggressive and as it should be and uh yeah, it just gets you. It sets the tone for the film, and uh, again, really creative and unique. I, don't, I think like people weren't doing that back then, and I think Spike influenced a lot of people through mm-hmm. his style. Um, I was saying, I was telling you off air that I've watched four of his movies in four days, um, leading up to this, and that mm-hmm. I think I get his style a lot now. Yeah, <laughs> he has he has some very distinct. Um, Spike Lee shots that only he uses. So mm-hmm. I think that's hard to do in our modern day. And he still gets away with it um, uh, through this because he does it in Black Klansman as well. Um, some of the shots that he even used in uh, Do the Right Thing. So yeah, I think there's a 29 year difference between those two films and he's still using those two and uh, those shots effectively. So it's cool to see that. Yeah. Yeah. And the yeah, Black Klansman, you can see that. And then it's just with the benefit of um, a bit more, I guess, like a modern modern style and that obviously years of honing his craft, you just see it. But I, it's not even to see. It's not even, yeah, better camera. And just it's just a different look. But um, And it's interesting. I was thinking about watching do, the, watch, do watching it again the other day. It's very much the structure. It feels like it could be a stage play because it is so much just yeah, absolutely. we yeah. go to here and there's conversation then here and then here. And it's just... I'd love to see it as a stage play with like, you know, whether you, I'm sure someone talented out there could write a musical for it and write some original music around the film because it is so much, there is such a style to it as well that you could write musical bits for it. And um, I'm sure someone's thought of it before as well because it's just so much the way it's structured and set pieced um, with, you know, different different areas being, you know, the Sour's Pizzeria being such a a place where so much happens and then, you know... um, sister mothers like mother sisters uh looking down from the window and just different parts of the street they're all just sets 
um, stable sets. And and the way Spike uses the camera kind of to pan and shoot and follow is really and you know um um god damn I'm missing I'm blanking on Samuel L. Jackson's radio DJ name but um which is terrible but I do this at least once in every pod I just mentally blank but um just every every there's so many distinct set moments in the film that you can just I could just imagine it being a really cool stage play I don't know it's not absolutely you could just have him off to the side for the whole film really yeah just like just a little part to him but again another you know extremely unique scene is when they just have him listing off different black artists on the air and Mm -hmm. while uh, all the film just plays and he's just listing off all these profound black artists it's again people weren't doing that um and so much of like what we would consider unique film making today is based on a lot of the stuff that Spike Lee did in this, I think. Mm-hmm. Cause yeah. it is something that people study in school. It is a film that people study in school. So, and rightfully so. Yeah. And it's, um, been, it's one of, it's in the library of Congress as a culturally, historically and aesthetically significant film. Um, they don't, yeah, that's a, you know, there's a lot of different films in that um, in the Library of Congress in that sense, but like uh, they don't add they every film that goes in there is very carefully considered. Um, it's almost like a Hall of Fame in that sense, as far as but they've got to be significant in a cultural way. So that just shows how how powerful that was. It went just reading it went in on its first year of eligibility. So um, yeah, first ballot yeah, Hall of Fame really. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I was reading to you off air before and um, just to unfortunately round it back to kind of the moment we're in. Um, Roger Ebert, um, I'm, we'll talk about the the uh, uh, review ratings for this in a bit um, before we take our break and then come back for some Black Klansmen afterwards. But um, he, he Roger Ebert really loved this and kind of understood it straight away, which is unfortunately what, um, yeah, it's funny how films like this bring out the racism in people because this film crazily, and it's not cra- like when you understand how people like a, lo- a large majority of people who don't have a nuanced thinking about race, racial issues think, um, it does, it's not surprising, but it's still shocking to think this people think this way. But there was a worry that this film would incite actual riots because black people would see this film and riot, which is incredibly racist when you when you actually just think about it. It's like, oh, so... And um, Lee himself said in the 2014 interview that it still pisses him off um, because he's just like, oh, so people in the 80s weren't coming out of Arnold Schwarzenegger films and going to, like, you know, fucking blasting holes through buildings and, and doing that because that's a white action hero film. But when, you know, you have, make a really subtle... A really in-depth nuanced film about um racial relations in brooklyn in a day you know you know he's it's going to incite people to riot like that just shows how deeply systemic the sub the racism that's just embedded in people it's that that that, that's the first reaction and they that a lot of those people would be the ones that say i'm not racist but that's right those kind of people would have that reaction to this film because they don't understand what the film's actually about and or they, the or they haven't learned, like you and me, through our life, because we come from a position, sorry, I cut in quickly, but from a position of white privilege, we've had to learn and read about it and listen to understand what the film's about because we don't, aren't going to have the experience to know, but we can learn and that's what you've got to do. 
don't just instantly come out and go, oh, this will incite riots. Right, and beyond beyond what you just said, which is correct, it, it also is a way of white people trying to keep black art down mm-hmm. and keep black culture down by saying, oh, this might incite riots. They're trying to deny its um, ability to be seen. Mm-hmm. So that's also structural racism right there. So um, it's good that it was so powerful that it broke through all of that um, backlash, which is, as backlash usually is, pretty misguided. Yeah. <laughs> so, And now it's in the Library of Congress, so jokes on them. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, there's still plenty of those thinkers out there because they see, uh, yeah, you see it on Facebook and Twitter now with everything that's going on. There's still people that think this is um, just mindless riots and whatever. But anyway... Um, and the joke's not really on them because they're too stupid to understand anything. Yeah, so. yeah. Uh, it was interesting. He, um, the because this is a disc that's in the um, the do the right thing was um, added into the Criterion collection. Which, um, if you're a right. physical media collect collector, Criterion does a lot of great releases of um, movies, and they right. kind of pick pick movies uh, that are you know just got cut like all the Wes Anderson's films are Criterion releases, right. I think, yeah. and. Um, or get a Criterion release eventually. but So Ebert did an essay for the release because I think they often come with like a little essay in there and, and just, you know, special features and whatnot. Um, he asked why, like, um, why Mookie throws, he says, I suspect because Mookie, who the movie led uh, everyone to like and trust, how could he do such a thing to sell by throwing the trash can through the, which you've already mentioned, you know, there's actually, there's a subtle, subtle part about it that it was actually to try to distract everyone from. from that might've been off air, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, no, I think you <laughs> I mentioned don't, it. I'm as not well. sure. Yeah. No, you, uh, if he hasn't, then Shay mentioned off air that it was uh, done in a way to distract um, the people from taking out their anger on Sal and his kids because the they would li- likely be murdered um, just out of anger. Um, but it was, um, there's a lot of people like he, he basically mentions in this in this essay that a lot of people were recoiling in anger about the damage done to the pizzeria and he basically says among the many devastating effects of Lee's film certainly the most subtle and effective is the way it leads some viewers and in parentheses is not racist but thoughtless or inattentive or imbued with un- the unexamined values of our society uh, to realize that they are valued a pizzeria over a human life and I read that and just it just hit me right in the feels about what we're living in the moment the moment we're living in now because we're seeing so much um, about the world we're living in right now that people are valuing uh, just so much you know people are just so angry about property destruction that they're, for, they're more angry about that than they are about the loss of loss of human life um, and a tragic murder that led like led us to all of this. And it's the exact thing that led to um, this destruction of property in the movie as well was the loss of a life to the, um, you know, murder from at the hands of the police. And right. yeah, it's, it's a really, it's a, it would be a great film just to throw on for people and see how they react to it. And that's like, it's like a, you know, Blade Runner test for racism. Um, see, so yeah, I don't know. Yeah. You, I don't know. You don't know Blade Runner. So. Um, I've seen Blade Runner. Yeah, um, you know the void the void conf test for to see if they're replicants. Right. You could just put the do the right thing in, on and then ask a set of questions straight afterwards, and then that's like, yeah, well, you're a racist because this is your. Reaction. I would just fear showing it to like a, at least a third of this country because they would see like John Turturro's character and be like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, just like <laughs> oh, okay. 
yeah. it's, this is having not the desired effect yeah i think but uh yeah i do think i do think this is important for people to see when they're younger for sure before they're emboldened in their opinions completely mm-hmm. and you know we talked about it off air as well that you know um 13th is a documentary that ever, that should be required watching for mm-hmm. everyone um yeah. at a young age again before they're um i mean we watched it in cl- i had already seen it but we watched it in class this semester and i think it you know i'm quite a bit older than a lot of my classmates yeah. <laughs> but uh i think it blew some of their minds and it's like yeah uh seek this stuff out on your own and then mm-hmm. that's when this stuff will start to take hold i guess yeah, yeah, and then um, I mean, there's a lot of films that people are recommending at the moment, um, just about you know issues surrounding this, and and you know it's not like we'll always go over films that have uh, specifically based on racial injustice because it would be it would be fun to go through and celebrate some filmmakers um, you know of color and and you know you know women filmmakers as well and through in the future just celebrate film um, uh, and art that they produce without it having to be tied to any social issue like this, but just in the moment we're living in, um, it felt, yeah, I mean, we wanted to do something to kind of celebrate film in this sense, but it's also do the right thing is just so closely tied into the moment we're living in, unfortunately at the moment, but it is just shows how powerful art is because we were, um, art has been telling us it's been happening for a long time and, and you know, do the right thing certainly just, Oh, I, it was cra- crazy when you suggested. It, I was like, I remember the film and you knew what happened, but actually seeing it again with the with the thought of fresh in my mind of what's actually been happening, um, I, I'd you know I'd be lying if I said I didn't feel a little choked up. You know, like that's a yeah. really bad way of saying it, but I was just teary because of um, just the emotions of everything that's been going on. Because you know, you and I have both been pretty emotionally affected by everything going on. Because we're just empathetic people to um everyone in the world and we want we just want to live in a world where everyone's equal and the issues of color and race and sexual um identity and everything just isn't an issue people just people um this is the ideal utopia we want to live in whether it ever gets there but we should at least fight for it and make make the hateful ideas be really the real minority that's the only minority we want is hate <laughs> so um, <laughs> right. and unfortunately it's too much of a majority at the moment so way too much yeah do the right thing and uh, yeah. black Klansman addresses it too quite a bit um especially with race um racism inside the police department obviously mm-hmm. do the right thing because does it as well but uh black Klansman does it way more effectively I think is on just shining the light on the police whereas do the right thing is kind of about everything black clansman really goes inside a police department back in the 70s where you know there were no cell phone cameras there were mm-hmm. no you know, there was none of this stuff and they show what cops would do to african americans and uh i'm sure worse stuff happened as well um especially in the jim crow south which i mean it's documented they literally murdered people mm-hmm. down there so um yeah black clansman uh I think was one of Spike Lee's best recent movies, I would say, in the last decade or two. Yeah. Because um, he was turning out a lot of good stuff in the early 90s, but then he kind of, I wouldn't say he lost his way, but um, I think he kind of got stuck in a place. And uh, But then he started branching out a little bit more. Like I saw Inside Man this week, which is just, 
Inside Man and 25th Hour both are deviations from kind of his narrative because he wasn't involved in writing them, but uh, mm-hmm. both really good. He might have actually written Inside Man, I can't remember, but uh, yeah, just uh, he's evolving as a filmmaker, and but going back to his roots through that evolution, though, with Black Klansman was really impressive. Yeah, yeah. Um, we might take a quick break. Um, have a little intermission now, and then we'll get into Black Klansman after. Because, yeah, I gotta. I just re rewatched it again tonight for uh, one of the uh, previous six or seventh time now since it came out. Cause it's just one that's been really affecting to me. So, yeah, we'll take a quick break and come back with um, some Black Klansman chat. <laughs> There's never been a black cop in this city. We think you might be the man to open things up around here. Hello, this is Ron Stallworth calling. Who am I speaking with? This is David Duke. Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan. That David Duke? God. Last time I checked. What can I do you for? Well, since you asked, I hate blacks. I hate Jews, Mexicans, and Irish, Italians, and Chinese. But my mouth to God's ears, I really hate those black rats. And anyone else, really, that doesn't have pure white Aryan blood running through their veins. I'm happy to be talking to a true white American. God bless white America. The KKK is planning an attack. How do you propose to make this investigation? We'll establish contact over the phone. We'll need a white officer to play me when they meet face-to-face. You for the white race, Ron? Oh, hell yeah. So there becomes a combined Ron Stallworth. Can you do that? With the right white man, we can do anything. When's the last time they let a rookie lead an investigation? Oh, that's right. Never. <laughs> okay. Become his friend. Let's get invited back. So what kind of stuff you guys do? Cross burdens, marches. This is fixing to be a big year for us. You ask too many questions. You undercover or something? We must unite and organize to fight racism. Are you down for the liberation of black people? Power to the people. All power to all the people. All power to all the people. It's right, sister. For you, it's a crusade. For me, it's a job. You're Jewish. That hatred, doesn't that piss you off? You're taking this Jew lie detector test. Why are you acting like you ain't got skin in the game? I'm telling you, the wars are coming. White power! Black power! Knights of the Ku Klux Klan. That's us, Stallworth brothers. We're on a roll, baby. America first. America first. America first. If I would have known this was a clan, meeting, I wouldn't have taken this mother. All right, and we're back in the second half of our little uh, Spike Lee kind of special celebration of um, a couple of key films of his that have um, that are really kind of enlightening both in the past and, and the now especially. Um, we talked about Do the Right Thing for the first half of this pod um, and we started touching on Black Clansman, which is the one we're going to talk about a bit more in depth now. Uh, a very recent film of his, uh, 2018. I saw it and so obviously Do the Right Thing, I was one, so I didn't see it in cinema, but Black Klansman I did. Um, right. <laughs> a very kind of powerful cinema experience for me. Um, isn't a kind of half full, smaller cinema in um, like a little art house one down on the coast near in Adelaide. Um, and so it was me and Andrea and we saw that and there was a few other people in the cinema and 
I just remember the silence at the end of that film um, after obviously it ends. Like we'll go back to how the film starts and all the little bits of, of it um, in relation to everything going on now and the political climate as well. But he just just goes goes for it at the end of that film, like really hits home the, the home truths of, you know, the, there was a celebration to be had in that the, um, you know, Ron Stilworth and, and his... Um, buddies you know flip and everyone had won a small victory in um in kind of infiltrating and destroying parts of that uh clan chapter in colorado springs but then you have that powerful moment where him and um ron and patricia come out of their room guns drawn and a very stylistic spike lee shot that's the spike lee shot that he uses over and over and over he uses it with philip seymour hoffman in 25th hour actually (laughs) The slow, and he uses it uh, with Denzel in Inside Man. Yeah. Uh, so he loves that slow motion, everything moving around him, but they're like clearly on. I don't know exactly how he sets it up. I'm sure I can figure it out if I thought about it. But yeah. Yeah. He loves that shot. Yeah. Um, and Denzel's kid in this one. Um, but yeah, they, they go towards the window and see the see the cross burning and um, there's that soundtrack that's pumping that track that is used multiple times in that film. And like, it's kind of like, Mm -hmm. it's so, so powerful. Um, really cool music and just really elevates the scenes, um, to having the right severity in your mind of how important what you're watching is. Uh, but we see the cross burning on top of the hill and, you know, they were talking with the the clan members, um, in the film was often talking about how, you know, you burn across, see it for miles, all these things. Uh, we finally see it happen in the film after the, after you think the film's kind of had a happy end and they're high fiving. He's called David Duke a needle dick motherfucker on the phone or whatever he has, which is just I sometimes when I'm watching it, I'll go back and just watch that a couple more times. I like flick back and rewind because right. it's just even though it's not the real David Duke, I imagine it is, and it's wonderful. Um, Ara, yeah, <laughs> are you sure? <laughs> Ara, you sure? <laughs> Um, but yeah, you then after all that's happened, we see the cross burning, um, and realize that what Spike's saying is like, these issues are still, yeah, small victory. There's still a battle to be fought because this, this idea is still very much. War to be fought. Yeah. Yeah. It is still so entrenched in American culture and this, you know, systemic racism is still the biggest issue we've got, um, you know, we've obviously got a very viral pandemic going on, but then this is the other pandemic that we're dealing with right now. And um, and he just cuts to footage from Charlottesville, like well, because then you've got the uh, the clan members yelling um, white power, and then it just and it cuts so and so seamlessly to the um, unite the right douchebags in Charlottesville marching yelling white power, and it's just a seamless cut to what is what was really happening in 2017. And then shows the f- unfortunate, like the tragic footage of Heather High being mowed down by, you know, a domestic terrorist. And just the silence in that cinema at the end of watching that film was not silence of like people who hadn't got, they were just, there was so much shock in the cinema. I remember sitting there with tears in my eyes. I was just like, I was trying not to, because everyone is so silent. I was like, I don't want to like, like visibly like Pick up. let her, yeah. let her like, let us a sob out because I was, you know, it's that just thing that you do is like you're trying not to draw attention. Right. But ever, I think everyone in the cinema was experiencing some level of similar emotion to it. I remember Andrea said the same thing. She's just like, it's just the way it ended. Like, 
showing that that victory and you have that hollywood kind of thing but then it go just twists to the cross and then showing the actual things that kind of the actual footage from something that happened so recently you know just he he goes for it and showing that this film was obviously dramatis, dramatization of actual events but it's like he was trying kind of trying to say no this is a documentary and this is what's actually happening now um in a way yeah and it did really happen i mean it, as he says at the start this is based up <laughs> this is based on some fucked up shit basically yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah this did happen i don't think the like misplacing of the bomb and that murder stuff happened but uh mm. ron stalwart did become a member of <laughs> the kkk yeah he's actually he's actually got and the he did talk still, to david duke yeah yeah um but yeah just this the i think one of the most impactful scenes of it is when ron's partner um adam driver is going through the, uh, his initiation to mm-hmm. the clan and they're all yelling, you know, white power. Um, and, uh, interspersed with that is, um, the old African American telling the story about how, um, a mentally challenged man was lynched for something he didn't do, which is a true story. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just really intertwined perfectly because it's showing that, you know, these clansmen think they're being persecuted for being white Meanwhile, this is what it's actually like to be persecuted for your skin color. Yeah. And it's just like, it just shows the ignorance so hard and just shows what people have to go through in this country if they're not born white, unfortunately. Mm. Yeah, it was like, yeah, I think Harry Belafonte doing the reading. And it was such a, again, like such a, like Spike Lee kind of the stylized way he was doing the, the splicing between the two, um, obviously the completely moronic um initiation ceremony for an, a white supremacist and obviously adam driver's character was undercover but still going through it all which i can't even imagine what that would have to be like being undercover going through that but that's why they're so good at doing that job but especially uh, um as a jewish man yeah in the film um but even even that uh there's a seminal moment between the two it's like why aren't you as mad about this as i am mm-hmm. and it's like well like even as much as um the Jewish, uh, one of, every time I say it's a race, people get mad. They say, oh, it's a religion, but it's like, it's a race of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, every time, I mean, they face persecution in this country, but nowhere near um, what African-Americans have. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a subtle nod to that. I think Spike Lee was doing that. He's saying, like, why aren't you as mad about this as I am? And it's like, well, it's... You know, well, he says, it, he says, I've grown up, like, but we weren't, like, actively practicing, and it's just not something that I've he's been able to not identify with it as much, I guess. And because he's had the choice to right. not do it. Um, but he wears a star of David. Yeah. So it's like, he's like, I don't even know why I'd do it. Really. Still a part of him. Mm. Yeah. And he's made, and like, but then he kind of talks about that. And then he says, but now it's all I can think about because now I'm in this. And like, he's realizing kind of the severity of the hate that does, you know, he's had the benefit of being able to avoid it and avoid. Well, it just shows hate. that, he can go into like he can pass and I'm putting up finger quotes. If he can pass for just a white person, which I mean, he is, he's mm. just Jewish, but uh, they didn't know he was Jewish. So he was able to assimilate into white culture, 
not that again Jewish people aren't white. There's just this whole debate that Ian Carmel is having on Twitter that's going through my head right now. So I'm trying to clarify <laughs> everything. Um, but yeah, you, you just pass for a white guy. Mm-hmm. So, and I mean, even with people who hate Jewish people, they still couldn't tell he was Jewish. I mean, which shows how ignorant they are overall as well. But also that he probably didn't have to face a lot of backlash in his life for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And certainly, um, obviously, Jewish persecution is well documented in history. So, unfortunately, they've had to, as much as anyone, deal with it. Um, but, yeah. It's, yeah, um, FDR was a famous anti-Semitic as well. Yeah. Like, not as anti-Semitic as Hitler, per se, but close. Yeah, well, that's the a, that's a thing. Is sometimes you... And I guess this is what we're dealing with in, this, um, in the country at the moment, or in the U.S., is how, you know... Hitler got to his position of power being out by being out of weaken the political system and gain control. And uh, what we're seeing, unfortunately, in this moment we're living in is um, Trump effectively trying to do the same thing. Yeah, um, but he's meeting a hell of a lot more resistance. This shit wasn't happening in Nazi Germany. Yeah, That's, yeah. And people like that country bought in. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, we talked about it with Jojo Rabbit a couple weeks ago, and yeah. obviously. Um, we both studied it quite a bit. We even had a class together about the rise of Nazism in Germany. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I mean, it's less than you actually think it was that were like the diehard Nazi fans. Mm. But like all it took was like, you know, half half of the country to be really into it, a quarter of it to be indifferent and a quarter of it to be the ones being persecuted. Mm-hmm. And that's all it took for it to take hold. And that's not happening in this country, which is nice as much as he's still trying to do that. But yeah. the wheels are falling off of him right now. And I mean, we're talking about movies right now, but we can talk about that off air, but the wheels are falling off here, which is nice to see. Yeah. Yeah. And the reason I bring up Trump so much in this, this instance is that well, um, he's in the fucking film. Yeah, he does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it's even fun, like uh, when which character was it was walking back? Uh, it's in the scene when they're having dinner after the initiation and whatnot, and like um, Adam Driver's flips kind of being called out by that that guy by saying "I know who you are," like, um, and he's kind of blowing it off. And then uh, it's Felix walks out to take the phone call from his um, idiot wife um, <sighs> as she's panicking. He's also another actress Spike Lee uses a lot. Um, in his movies because she's a, a cop in in Inside Man, actually. Yeah. yeah. But she kind of always plays a, a, a annoying... In Inside Man, she's just a good cop, mm. but she, she kind of always plays a despicable she, character. She plays this role really fucking well. Um, just she's the one just going nuts. So does Felix yeah. as well. Yeah, considering he's like Swedish or something, or... Norwegian or something like that. The actor is he? Yeah, yeah. He's like, yeah. He's got. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, he's just like when uh, you actually hear him naturally funny. speak. Um, he's actually got a really heavy oh, European really? accent. So to do that, um, yeah. Just the scene where he's, um, and again, this isn't praising the ideology at all. It's just the acting that mm-hmm. he does when he's sitting in bed the day before he does it, and he's just looking off, and he's just so full of hate. Mm-hmm. He's, he just pulls it off really well. He's like really good acting yeah because um, you hate Felix. you mean, do you yeah and it, like everything he said like when like because he's always challenging flip like the entire film like trying to get him to break he, like he never fully trusts him obviously and um yeah like the, inter- the funny the, thing is he was right but yeah 
but he was wrong about everything. So yeah, yeah, he's right about who he was, but he's wrong about like his attitudes that make him hate hate that. So yeah, um, I also um, really enjoy the acting from the guy. I don't know his name. We've talked about him before on this podcast, though, because he's always good in what he does. But he played Richard Jewell. Um, oh yeah, he like the, he plays like the dumbass Ivanhoe. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God, he's so fucking amazing. When he's, he's trying to so, he's when ama- he's r- trying to read, <laughs> <laughs> I can read. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll find his name in a second because yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah. Paul Walter. He's an amazing Paul actor. Hauser. Yeah. Yeah. He plays a dumbass so much, mm-hmm. and I mean, I haven't seen Richard Jewell. I don't really want to see it because I'm not a big Clint Eastwood fan because of kind of the reason we're talking about these movies yeah. is. Eastwood is the antithesis of it, mm. but um, he was he was really good in this film, um, and he plays a dumbass really well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> just even the looks he gives, and just and he's kind of just just like, yeah. it's just like I can't even. <laughs> just, it's like his tongue's almost that. It's just funny. like he does that bit when like him and Felix are standing side by like either side of. Um, uh, Ron Stallworth, like John David Washington's, when he's when he's doing security detail for David Duke, and they kind of stand either side of him and say, "Don't fucking move" or whatever. And he walks. They both walk away, and he just turns around and goes, just does the, and, like, <laughs> and he's just like, this, yeah. "This fucking country's going to hell in a handbasket." Like, it's just, like, it's just. But I think. That character was Spike's kind of way of showing that, like, some of these guys that are in these groups, like, I think they just want to belong, Mm -hmm. and they're not smart. They're, like, close to Forrest Gump levels and um, of intelligence, and they just want to belong, and so they kind of get indoctrinated into it, and since they want to belong so much, they start wearing that stuff on their their, uh, sleeve. Mm -hmm. So, sorry, it's early here. Not really, but... For me, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they say, yeah. I mean, that's how those groups recruit is they look for, you know, the people who don't have a place in society mm-hmm. and just, and then they indoctrinate them with hate. And I think that's kind of what Spike was showing, other than just showing that those guys are dumb as fuck and <sighs> couldn't hit water if they fell out of a fucking boat yeah. type of thing. Yeah. Um, I think what I was saying before was when when Felix is walking back from taking that phone call, he walks back into the room. I Because I had the subtitles on, I'd never picked this up before, but there's a line and I went back and watched it and you can hear someone, someone just, one of the innate conversations that's happening at one of the tables is someone goes, I want to make America great again. And he's like talking about yeah, the plan. And yeah. it's like, it's amazing. Just little, like you won't, if you're not, if you watch it, just watch that scene where Felix is walking back after taking that phone call and listen out for it. It's just, it's very deliberate and just wonderful, like conversation just happening, and like it could have been Trump Jr., like Trump as a yeah. like a twenty year old at that meeting, you know, it's like. And David Duke says it as well. I think Topher Grace says it as well. Yeah, I think um, it's a little more in your face when he says it, mm-hmm. but I think like Topher Grace, obviously amazing in it, plays yeah. David Duke, real smarmy motherfucker, which he is, and because I mean they show David Duke later, and I mean. Topher looks like a young version of him mm-hmm. uh, and he just plays him so like he plays him perfectly um yeah. there's the story of darn that, tootin'. yeah <laughs> that Topher had to uh spend his time like 
it affected him so much playing David Duke, mm-hmm. like that on set he spliced together all three Hobbit movies into one to like he edited them all together to like take his mind off of having to play such an asshole. Yeah, so. I can imagine. I mean, we've heard about like you know people have had to play hateful racist characters like this. Like I know DiCaprio wasn't sure about the Tarantino role um, in. Django at first just because like getting yourself into that mindset was going to be you know quite yeah (laughs) um yeah yeah and Topher Grace does like one of the scenes that really um hits it for me is when um and Ron Stallworth does the I'm gonna grab a photo thing and like puts his arm around him and like yeah and the his reaction is very viscerally like you realistically believe he's like just disgusted to the very core that this black man has touched him. It's like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. And he's just, he's like, how dare you? And it's just like, and just the reaction. And then it's obviously a very uh, powerful scene because then you've got like, Ron is genuinely trying to bet, like he's, he's not, he's baiting him to say, do you want me to arrest you? Because I will. Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, you can only take so much of that. And I think that's what Spike is showing yeah. too. And I think that's why like, I'm sure, like, they show Ron watching them watch Birth of a Nation and watching them cheer and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, You can only take so much of that before, you know, you you would want to kill somebody, honestly. Um, The restraint shown by both Adam Driver and John David Washington's characters is really impressive, especially since it was based on a true story. Or based on some fucked up shit. Um, yeah. So, the like the patience that they have to actually make change is really impressive. Yeah, I've said that a lot on this podcast. But <laughs> my verbiage is in is a uh, is great in the mornings. Yeah, no, you're good. Um, I we we talked about spike's style a bit and do the right thing half of the pod and it's um he does there is some very much i i one of the scenes i just love that's kind of just a fun scene of the film is like the dancing in the in the club early in the film like when they yeah yeah and it's just that this movie's got a great soundtrack as well um um obviously i've mentioned that score that undercuts a lot of the later part of the film that heavy like jazzy yeah. kind of score with those heavy kind of drums that are like kind of uh, marching drums almost that are just kind of it is definitely a marching yeah. yeah. And um and it, it comes and I feel like the first time you really hear that and it kind of sets up the latter half of the film is like when um Ron Stallworth goes John David Washington goes to check out where they on the shooting range they're on. And I I love how they re- like you have this whole like kind of five minute scene of the clan member guys just shooting and you know, shooting their guns off and having a bit of fun. But you never actually see what they're shooting at. It's only revealed in a like real great spikely shot where he slowly pans out from Ron checking out the targets, and it pans out, and you realize it's like yeah. um, very racist um, depictions, caricatures of um, black people, and it's just. And then that soundtrack kicks in, and it's like, all right, this is the real severity. This is where we're showing you. This is a serious situation that they're dealing with, and it kind of just moves into that latter half of the film when. You know, they discover there's guys from NORAD that are part of the clan. Right, and, exactly. And they've stolen yeah. C4. And, and uh, um, as you said, um, I think before we took a break, I think it was on air. We do this. We we, uh, we chat on and off air a lot around these podcasts. But the, you did mention how it does show 
like Black Klansman does a really good job of showing how systemic racism kind of exists at, at this time and now is that and it, and it's um again tying back to Charlottesville I watched a an hour documentary on Charlottesville the other day where a guy kind of investigated some people that were found on footage there and there was a guy that was in um there was a marine who got discharged because of the investigative journalism that happened because journalism is important don't don't let trump tell you otherwise it is. um also protest is important because yeah. now marines are barred from displaying the confederate flag i mean which should have been done uh in the 1860s when you know the people who say America, love it or leave it, tried to leave America and they lost yeah. and we beat them into submission and made them be part of our country. Again. <laughs> Maybe it would have been better to let them have their own country. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, they wouldn't, they wouldn't have lost it very well. Um, but yeah, yeah uh, there was, um, yeah, this guy did an investigation and found like Marines and like he called them and they were like, oh. Yeah, no, that wasn't me, but I kind of have the I have the same opinions though. And the guy was like, well, obviously it was you then, and and so like, what? yeah, and they was like, and these guys, yeah, and they, yeah, he'd be like, no, it wasn't me, but like, it's kind of true though, right? Like, it's just it's really terrible, like how stupid it, these stupid these it, people are. But um, yeah, these people are Marines. One of my buddies Marines out here is in Air Force. Mm -hmm. He was in Africa serving a tour, and he said that he was around people that called Obama all the bad names you can imagine, but then got real, you know, real butthurt when you would say anything about Trump. And so, I mean, this shit exists in our military, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, and it's because it doesn't, again, they, they recruit kind of like the way um, some of these hate groups recruit is that if you don't belong in society, we'll give you a home. Yeah. No matter where you're from and no matter how intelligent you are, which is, you know, that's been brought up um, in the past decade of whatever. We don't need to talk about that right now. I'm sure we'll do a war movie at some point and we can talk about veterans and s stuff of that nature. Yeah, yeah, certainly will because that's a whole... I mean, but Adam Driver was a veteran in this film, I believe, unless he's lying. But I don't know why he would lie to um, that one guy who can't really comprehend anything. can't remember <laughs> his name. What you said his name was. Ivanhoe. Ivan, yeah. Yeah. Which is a Russian name, which is kind of funny. <laughs> well, I think it's Ivan Ho. Like, I don't know. It's, yeah. yeah. Dumbass dumb works because he's... Well, he, it works for all of them, but if you're talking specifically, he's a... Yeah. Um, But yeah, it just it, it did show, like, just when you go into the latter half of the film and the severity of, of how deeply intertwined the clan is with different organizations in because why because just you know white supremacy is systemic in america still um to this very day and and unfortunately that's what these protests are about it's not this is what's it's really, not unfortunate well it's unfortunate that we have to protest yeah but it's no i was, I was gonna say it's unfortunate <laughs> how constantly we're he hearing like uh you know it's all this stupid shit like all lives matter it's like well yeah, but the black lives are the ones that are in danger. And, and, and then people were like, oh, there's all these statistics. It's like, no, systemic racism exists because we've seen it redlining, um, voter suppression, uh, segregation is still like... Segregation caused neighborhoods to develop that are underdeveloped, underdeveloped underfunded. 
segregation it means still it's, exists. Yeah, it's like all these things. Like I'm not going to go into the history of like how systemic racism got to where it is, but it is everything that's happened over the last 250, 300 years means that populations are still don't enjoy the same experiences or or advantages or even have the access to the same advantages that a white person does based on, simply on being born white and in a different neighborhood. Um, so Watch thirteen. Yeah. Read books. Um, if you like sports, read Forty Million Dollar Slaves and um, The Heritage. Um, Forty Million Dollar Slaves by William C. Roden, and The Heritage is by Howard Bryant. Um, they both talk about how systemic racism has infiltrated sports, and we've obviously seen that with Colin Kaepernick. Mm-hmm. So, um, and the NFL and many brands and leagues and stuff like that are coming out with. Um, hypocritical statements um, <laughs> now, and this is why the protests need to continue to happen until change actually happens. Even though the NFL admitted fault in the Kaepernick thing, they still didn't apologize to him. And this is an issue as well is that they're admitting fault, um, but only because they ha- it's. It's uh, beneficial. Their league is like eighty percent black, and it's beneficial. To, it's, and it's beneficial to the business now to be on the right side of history now. But the best thing to do with being on the right side of history is be on the right side of history before you think you need like recognizing the right side of history because you because the protests are telling you to means you're probably still not on the right side of it because you're just doing yeah, it. and it's like it's a reaction. You shouldn't be reacting to this. It should have been. It should have been your default position, and that's why the NFL still has so much work to do. Is because we everyone said four years ago, no, like all the pro, all the, the people it was all were, right there on the wall. Yeah, the but it's because it's because years. all it's because the president and the president's still an idiot about it. Obviously, um, Trump was tweeting about it, and then because there's so many all the white fans threatening boycotts, they thought it was the right business decision at the time to to put the things in place that ban kneeling and. And um, you know, completely push Colin Kaepernick out of the league, but Blackballing. but then every all of the rest of us like and the, were the majority of people that had their were like, no, this is what are we doing here? Like this is stupid. And 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 now four years later, it's been proven right. And now the NFL is like, oh no, and it's the same things happening with the academy. Like Ava DuVernay, we've just been talking about thirteenth, um, the academy put out an apology tweet today to David Oloyo and. He played. I, I probably fucked up the pronunciation of his name completely, but he played uh, Martin Luther King and Selma, and like, and right. and Duvernay made the film, and they talked about how because they came out and said that the Academy was really kind of uh, pushed against Selma as like in getting nominations and whatnot because of how they they just didn't want to deal with like it was like oh this is going to be t- this is going to be hard work because it's like a divisive film kind of thing. And the Academy put out a tweet today saying oh this is like. You know, we're 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 sorry about that. That film was only a couple of years ago, so the Academy's only apologizing. yeah, twenty fourteen, I think. Oh, was it twenty five? Okay, it's a few more years, and I thought I thought it was like seventeen or something. But either it way, it might have been. Either way, I thought I saw it was twenty fourteen. It might have been twenty fourteen. I might be mixing it up with another one. Either way, it's in it's very recent history. Because someone got nominated for some stuff. Yeah, it's a but it, it, it didn't get it didn't get the real uh, the real push though. I think that's what the issue was. Yeah. Well, and, also just like wasn't as critically received as maybe it should have been. And maybe yeah. that has to do with systemic racism. You know, maybe, I mean, America was at a weird point in 2014. I mean, obviously 
every year since then. It's been in a weird point. That's not an excuse by any yeah. means, but I'm just trying. I know I. I think I put it out on my Twitter somewhere, so I'm looking for it as we chat. But you know, these are the issues that are like in every single part of life that we're living. Um, hold on, here we go. Da, 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 I've there's been a lot of tweets the last few days. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's um, we've gotten a little bit off the topic of the movie, but it, 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 it this was the systemic racism that um, that has got us to the point we are now and the police force had it then and and you know this this is what the, the um it's a very it's a real nice notion that um I, I i like how spike i was trying to get to this point i like how spike does like they do the scene where they they um wiretap the douchebag cop um whatever his name was yeah um, i don't think that actually happened in real no life, i don't think it did but they do that and like the police chief's in on it, it's all happy days. But then they go in afterwards, and the police chief's like, um, "I've defunded your entire operation. Destroy, right. destroy all evidence. The public's not going to know about this." And it's like, "Oh, so that that's systemic because the public should know about a case like that." But it's, that's, not, that's not going to be popular. FBI cracked down on them. Like the FBI, like you see the FBI get involved. Yeah. But uh, so I'm wondering if the FBI went to that police chief and was like, "Hey." Uh, we're working on something. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, and that's a good point too. Is like what, but to me, it just it's it stunk of um, the uh, police kind of just not wanting. It's not. It's kind of like we were talking about with all these uh, things, like with the the academy and the NFL now apologizing. Like it's it's be- financially beneficial to them now to have this stance, whereas back you know in nineteen seventy whatever. I think the film was set in 72, even though the events actually happened in the late 70s or something like that. Um, right. But it was not like the, the police department probably didn't want to be known as like being, it wasn't good for business to be actively taking down white supremacist cells, probably because the police department was filled with white supremacists. So I was like, I don't know if that's yeah. what he was going for too much, but it was more just... That's that- the one unrealistic thing to me about the film, actually. And I know it's based on a real story, but is that none of the cops were in that chapter and would have seen Adam Driver. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Especially I just... Back. I finally found the Ava DuVernay thing about Selma that I was talking about. It's actually that um, the cast and crew of Selma wore I Can't Breathe t-shirts in remembrance of Eric Garner. Academy members said they were staring shit and wouldn't vote for the film as it wasn't their place to do that. So and yeah. that, so Ava DuVernay retweeted an article about it and said true story, and so then the Academy retweeted her tweet saying we're sorry and we're actively committed to, but it's like you know a few years later Oscar's so white yeah so you know but even that isn't like really addressing the issue enough it's just like a funny hashtag it's like we need you know you need more yeah well but that's I guess that's the issue is like at least a hashtag or you know like Black Lives Matter is a hashtag just directs you to the information you hopefully that you need to find, which is why some yeah. people had issues with the square thing last week with them. And not that the square thing was the issue. It was just the right hashtagging at the right time. But um, it's just all about every time you say something um, in social media that supports something like this, it just adds that groundswell. And that's what I'm really hoping for in, in this kind of moment that we're living in right now. But yeah, 
that's again nothing to do with the film, but um, as we said at the front end of the pod, we were going to try and we were talking about these films in context with what's going on now. But um, we're basically using the films, and I say using as two white guys, it doesn't sound good, but we're basically using the films to talk about what's going on right now. Yeah, and that's um, what we always kind of want to do, but right now it's more important to talk about what's going on rather than the films that reflect what's going on. Yeah, yeah, and it's um. Certainly, again, like I said, we're celebrating Spike Lee's art um, as far as giving us an insight into the worlds that, um, and he's foretold, like we said, with Do the Right Thing, he told, kind of told us what was going to happen before, well, it's happened before, but again, we're now, we're only seeing it now because we only have the benefit of people being able to videotape it now. It's just, that's what's scary too, is like, you know, Do the Right Thing, um, no one's going to be there with a cell phone camera in 1989. So that right. you're, you're never going to hear about those ones. And we're just luckily, unluckily, but luckily living in a moment where people can at least, if a tragedy like this is going to happen, hopefully someone's going to have proof of it so we can hold those accountable to justice. Because, you know, a lot of people have said at the moment, um, you know, if no one was there to film George Floyd's death, then, you know, it would have been swept under the rug. It was a 17-year-old young african-american woman who did it yeah um extremely brave yeah on her part so. yeah because how many Another times have you seen those good. videos of like cops yelling at them saying no you can't record this it's like you know a lot of people yeah. a lot of it's people just how just... casual the other three cops were standing there that i mean obviously the kneeling is the worst part of it but the 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 casualty uh, well that's not the right use for that word the the cops standing around are just so casual, like nothing to see here. They're not even stopping somebody from filming. It's just well, like, there's, a, it's there's one of them. I don't know if it bothered me a lot as well. And this is like another part of in, like systemic racism is one of the other cop twice says, this is why you don't do drugs, kids. Just as he's, as his partner's behind him, casually killing a guy. He's just standing. Yeah. And we've already him. found out that like the dare program is a bunch of bullshit. Um, it only makes kids basically want to do drugs, so, and the cops run that shit. So I don't know if you know what Dare is or not. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, I've heard about it. Yeah, we um, all have to go through it. I went through it in fifth grade. Okay, like we had to go through it as like classes. It's like some Nancy Reagan shit. Yes, yeah. and it just like teaches you all about drugs, basically, and it it scares you into not doing them, but it also makes you curious. So. It's kind of like going through sex ed where they tell you abstinence is the only way. It's like it's just not going to happen. Like people are going to fuck and people are going to do drugs. Like mm -hmm. maybe we should teach. And the, and the CIA is going to bring you in the drugs. Yeah, we're going to trade weapons for the drugs yeah. and plant them <laughs> in poor neighborhoods. So um, Systemic racism. Yeah, another, another good reason camera phones are important is that we can see all right agitators try to set bombs in the middle of protests and have them thrown in their cars mm. uh that's very fun <laughs> that was Good. yeah that was the karma that's the kind of karma twitter you need to see at times like this because we see a lot of a lot of good people being hurt and um tragically you know there's um a young lady that uh died because of tear gas so you know mm -hmm. just a friendly reminder that tear gas is chemical weapon and, and bet, like is a war crime outlawed so, by geneva, the yeah. geneva Convention. so yeah the but, usa is just committing war crimes against so in citizens right now um yeah like you know we we're all like oh al-assad was a bad guy but you know this is the same shit so yeah i mean that's what happens when you let passion rather than thought um 
dictate who your leaders are, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. And but, again, that's why Black Landsman was such a powerful film and why I sat silently shocked at the end of the movie was how well he tied that into everything that's going on now. And and sadly, like, um, although Charlottesville had happened and, and hence why he could add that footage in at the end of the film, um, the film got released, I think, on the year anniversary, the unit, one year anniversary of Charlottesville. Like, he really tied that into it, um, into the release of the film and into the tying narrative of the end of the film to try and tie it into the now. Is that, um, you know, when Charlottesville happened, we were hoping that that would, you know, uh, you are with how things were going with Trump. Obviously, we were expecting we, we knew things fuck. were going to get worse if he didn't get impeached and ousted from office. Um, he did get impeached. Sorry, yeah, I say yeah, impeached and ousted was what I meant. And you know, we were all hoping it would happen straight away or something would happen that would get him removed from office um, because of the crimes that he has committed in the past. Because he has committed many crimes, both um, financially, economically. Um, Sexually, sexually, um, criminally. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm sure there's there's many, many, many crimes. As just to paraphrase Trump talking about anything, there's many, many, because um, that's all he can say is many, many big this, that, the other. Because he doesn't actually have any any thoughts rattling around in his head apart from bad ones, racist ones. He's a horrible man. Um, but yeah, yeah. I don't we, think he has any thoughts. I think he just regurgitates at this point what he sees on Fox News. And, re- retweets. And retweets. I mean, it doesn't take a lot of in like thoughts to type out tweets in all yeah. caps and retweet that little, things. That little bootlickers like Charlie Kirk tweets something and he retweets with little caps saying, yes. That motherfucker tweeted, the Republican Party is the one that freed the slaves. And it's just like, you got... The nice thing about that son of a bitch is that if you punch him in the face, you get his eyes, mouth, and nose all in one punch. So. <laughs> and we and we do we advocate very strongly for punching Nazis on this podcast. So, um. yeah, my grandfather punched a lot of Nazis and uh, survived the Battle of the Bulge doing so. So, yeah. I'm always for punching Nazis and destroying fascism. Yeah, because there's a word for anti anti fascism. You know, in math they teach you to cross out two things that are the same. Oh yeah. And then you... <laughs> so, yeah. Anti anti fascism is fascism. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, to be anti anti antifa, it's like, well, let's just strike the two words at the start of that, so you're pro fascism. Mm-hmm. Let's just get that straight. Yeah. But again, they don't use. There's not a lot of thoughts going on right now. This has just turned into me bullshitting with you. And we're so far from their face, but... Oh, we knew it was going to happen. But I don't really get a, like... I think that's what Black Klansman was, like, really... He wanted to make us aware of the moment we're living in and how dangerous he really... Spike Lee's, obviously... We said at the front end of this pod, he has his finger on the pulse for a lot of these things because... Yeah, he's just grown up in it, um, and and as an activist filmmaker from the very start, and um, as well as an activist, um, yeah, he's just he wants he wants you to come out of this film thinking about the now and everything that's happening now. He's obviously telling a story about a specific thing um, with the Ku Klux, but he's he's wanting to say these people still exist and are still very strong and very powerful. And the moment this we're is a story in, that need to be told as well. Yeah, and the moment we're in right now is as a, a direct result of that because we're these people have been emboldened by Trump um and he that's the reason he 
showed the footage of Trump saying there's very good, there was very fine people. Not all of them were Nazis. They were. Um, and then he immediately cuts to like the Nazi flags that were also just clearly bought off Amazon. I've done it before. Like my Arsenal flag that I bought on Amazon still has the fold creases because mm-hmm. they folded into like a really tight square. And it's like, oh, cute. You used Amazon to buy a fucking Nazi flag. Yeah. That's pretty fucking good. fantastic. And you just got it out of the package. Yeah. Fucking moron. And then went to went to Home Depot and got a like cheap tiki torch and yeah. And go to anyone who's still listening to this. Go to Lowe's instead of Home Depot. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, and then yeah, obviously the footage of David Duke, like David, the real David Duke, literally talking, David Duke, and yeah. who's uh, praising the president for emboldening emboldening the cause. Yeah, like you couldn't be any more explicit than that. And you know, and Spike was giving us a very big warning there, and. Obviously, a warning and a call to action to to be hold these people accountable for the stupidity and the danger they're bringing to the world by emboldening hate and division and these kind of attitudes that have us in this place where systemic racism isn't just you know we we should be especially after um, you know the presidency of Obama and just trying you know we were all thought we were in a progressive state of mind and and but this is what what it's made us realize is that this system of racism and oppression is so much part of the seedy underbelly of all of our nations that that they they responded to the first the first presidency of a black man by electing someone like Trump that's that's the response we got because that's how deeply seated the hate is in the country and that's how, that's the realization we have to And come. now they're getting their response in the streets every single day for yeah. electing a racist who lost by three million votes? Yeah. Again, he does not have the majority of this country. No matter, and he always talks about the silent majority. It's like, dude, you lost by three million votes. Yeah. That's more people than the fucking state I grew up in. Like, yeah. and again, and, 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 to, and, to and the whole system is fucked up yeah. in our modern day. That um, the electoral college com- completely benefits the Republicans. Mm-hmm. And tied into um, again, obviously, the end of the film. With the Nazi imagery and um, and obviously the very fascist um, imagery of the Charlottesville rallies, is that we we are in a we are living in a moment where Trump is challenging the very democratic notion of the country because he's already seeding he's already banging on about male male voting fraud and 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 he's talked about how he believes in millions of illegal votes. That's how he that's how he accounts for losing the majority vote is that he thinks that just all those votes that he was beaten by in the in the popular vote was were illegal votes and so he's already seeding seeding the idea in the minds that he will not like any any election that goes against him in november which we all hope it does that it will that he will not accept the result he will call it an illegal vote he'll call like he's challenging the democrats he's pissed off the military though now so like if he tries to pull some shit the military's not gonna back him well that's that's it but he's he's still it's still a dangerous notion um even beyond that like even if whatever he tries fails you're you're unsettling the you're unsettling a major portion of the country that it means that we're gonna have the to framework. Deal, we're gonna have to deal with the repercussions of it for years and years and decades as we try to fix it the, because the, there's so much damage to the very fabric of the country and the world right now because dealing with people there's MAGA people in australia now like make australia great again fucking douchebags so we've got that here now too so the fabric of the world is being rippled by leaders like this and it's not related to trump it's like you know you got bolsonaro in brazil and johnson in in england it's just like all these conservative um very very right right wing governments that are um 
that are unsettling the fabric that it's going to take years and years to get back to where we were and and this is why it's so important that filmmakers like Spike Lee speak out um you know Ava DuVernay just because she's on my mind because of 13th and talking about that Selma, right. Selma tweet stuff um you know we really need to celebrate these filmmakers and the art that they provide like that is very much telling about the situation the world that they've known for years and um you know it's sad uh, I'm so inspired by the fact that we have fucking Black Lives Matter protesters in England pushing statues of slavers into the, um, <laughs> yeah. into the into the water, and but then we've got like you've got politicians in England that were getting on the TV and and saying how deplorable it is that that happened because it's vandalism, uh, vandalism, and stuff like that. So we're we're in a we're in a, a deep fight right now. Train agrees. Um, yeah, yeah. Power to the power to the trains. Power to the people. Um, but yeah, we're just we're just in a moment right now that and Black Klansman really just showed just yeah, it's a really you have to look into it like it takes a few watches to kind of get the subtle like like I said that little line of it like his little no, nod to Trump in even in the, the background noise of the scenes with the Make America Great I want to make America Great again guy who whoever that was talking. And sorry to bother you was the same had yeah. the same little little things in there. Yeah. So um yeah all these all this art really needs to be celebrated both as just just as great art and fun and just celebrating filmmakers um of all you know all types colors create you know creeds sexes um I've, I've got some ideas for doing celebrating some great women filmmakers and fu- and some in the near future pods as well um cuz that's what we've got to do in our position as well and when we're talking about film is realize film the film industry like every other industry has had an issue with um um, racism and, and sexism as well and that's very well documented um, unfortunately it came out about a um, producer for Sinistate in the horror community um, that's, um, that's rocked that community a bit because he was apparently a lecherous douchebag kind of like um, the, the, the Austin film scenes uh, version of Harvey Weinstein essentially so yeah we've got to celebrate the good filmmakers and, and, and kind of push forward with um, uh, yeah activism um, it's not yeah all the messages in the last few weeks about not just saying you're not racist but being actively anti-racist is really important i think as a next step um it's a you know when you think about it it's very obvious it's just every time you say something um and embolden uh love against hate is important because it just makes every every time someone's you know it's just the more people that are actively saying this is not okay what can i do to help or how can we help or I'm here to listen and learn and and do whatever and or you know go to these marches and stand side by side and and everything is really important in this current time because that's the only way you can you can drown out the, these voices of hate like that the Trumps and the David Dukes and the and the Felixes and the Ivanhoes with his all those characters and even the Walt you know Walter and Black Landsman was a really refined kind of like you know he, he apart from. He seems like a nice guy, apart from the fact he's a white supremacist. So there's the film does a really, yeah. good, really good job of showing how you have Felix, the real militant. The levels. Guy. Yeah, Felix yeah. is the militant guy who hates everyone unless he's their friend. And then you got Ivan, who's a dumbass. But then Walter's the affable guy who might be the guy that you work next to and seems really nice and has a nice family and has a nice truck and seems. He's like, like concerned about Felix. Yeah, like he's like almost like scared of him. Yeah. Like, and it seems like Walter, like, only, and again, it's deplorable that he even would be a part of anything like that, but 
he, I mean, he was shot and stuff like that. So it seems like he didn't like grow up with that deep seated hate, but grew, but got the hate because of an incident. Whereas Felix seems like it was just in his blood almost. So, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it shows that we've got to, you got to keep an eye out for it too. Cause yeah, sometimes you don't know, um, you know, scarily in my own world, I've realized that some people I've known for years have got um, views that I didn't really realize they had and it's, and it's hard to come to terms with, but it also shows that that's how systemic racism works is it just infiltrates at different levels of your life and and people that come from all walks of life that you don't know how they've gotten there, but it's just because it is systemic and it's so easy to feed those attitudes into people because they're so built into the roots of the countries we've grown up in because that's how they were built. So, um there's a lot of systems yeah. that need to be completely broken down to get get away from that, and that's why we've got to keep celebrating these films that really, um, you know, got people like Spike Lee that don't hold anything back. They explicitly show us, and um, the message is always there for us to find. And um, yeah, two great films that, unfortunately, um, you have to, you know you revisit, and we just hope we can revisit them in the future years and look at back of them as a historical archive rather than a than a um, message to the now, like hopefully one day. We got a long way to go. We do, but, but uh, we can, we're working on it. Yeah, <laughs> doing our best. But yeah, um, I guess we can just go to um, just to go back to a bit of a not not a lighter note, but just um, sorry, I'm just flicking back with my Google machine so I can get the <laughs> get the uh, Rotten Tomatoes. Um, oh right, right. Yeah, I mean, I know. Uh, <laughs> I know Do the Right Thing had like 93, I want to say. I feel like a lot of films are doing lately are around 93. 92 We're per- doing good 90- <laughs> 92%. <laughs> you're very close. Yeah. Um, 92%. So 7.9 on IMDb, which is out of 10, obviously. 92% Rotten Tomatoes. 92% Metacritic. And 80%, 86% of Google users like this film, which is um, great to see, actually. It means, you know, 14%. Uh, Probably think probably just crying about sales pizzeria and that's about it. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, I would say properly rated. Yeah, maybe I'd a little t- underrated for uh, what it is. I was gonna say that and what um, it means. I th- I would say it's to me it's slightly underrated. I'd say ninety four, ninety five. I'd put it at. Um, obviously, I don't think we've actually mentioned it on air. We we did we did. Uh, criticize off air Spike Lee's acting slightly. <laughs> so, yeah, um, I think he's great it, it in moments. In the f- I don't. I think he's great in moments in the film, and other moments I'm just like, it looks like he's reading the line. Like, there's a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he really plays off Danny Aiello really well, and Danny Aiello is amazing. In Nominated, this. right? I believe so. Yeah, yeah. and re- as supporting, and um, yeah, um, really good from him. It really, uh, Totoro plays a pretty despicable person really well. Just. I mean, Spike Lee's acting is drowned out by a lot of phenomenal performances. Yeah, yeah. And lots of great bit, like, you know, Samuel L. Jackson in a very early role. I think he was credited in the credits as Sam Jackson. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah, Rosie Perez debut. I mean, DeMare is amazing in it, that actor. Yeah, Ozzie Davis. Um, his real-life wife um, uh, as a mother-sister as well. and. Um, really? Yeah, yeah, they've been married for like, they were married for like fifty years. They both sadly passed away now. Obviously, um, they were, I bet she loved that role. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, they'd been married. They were married from like nineteen forty forty eight or something like that onwards. So, um, so real like 
you know, good for them. Um, and yeah, and Martin Lawrence debut as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, playing a weird character. One of the guys who critiques um, the mayor. Yeah. in it as well. Um, but he in that role, it kind of reminds me of uh, what Ivanhoe or whatever his yeah. name was. <laughs> <laughs> they kind of just following along, just yeah. echoing what they hear. But uh, yeah, Martin yeah. Lawrence in it's funny. Um, question for you, as we just you mentioned that um, I think we've already decided that we're pretty happy with the rating but it could, it could have been actually higher um just that's how much we respect and love the film and its message and everything it's just so much i would have flipped the black Klansmen and do the right thing scores which i'm sure we'll get to yeah that's possible uh, possibly how i would think too um uh, just to, before we get to the black Klansmen scores robert de niro was who lee originally wanted to play sal wow i actually am happy they went with Aiello. Daniel, and I love yeah. Robert De Niro, but I think I think the role would have been overtaken by too much of. De... It's not that he has a shtick because he's obviously a great actor, but it's like it would have. I been... would have liked to see it. I, I guess. I um, yeah, I'd like. I think Daniel is perfect though. I think he's a little bit more strained at the times he needs to be. He's his softness when he's talking to yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shay just did a great De Niro face. Um... <laughs> I think Aiello has that like softness to him. That's like, what I was thinking too. Talking yeah. to Mookie's sister, mm-hmm. that whole scene that I don't know if De Niro in 1989 could have pulled off. Yeah, because um, that was right. I think Goodfellas was filmed in '90, so yeah, or yeah. filmed around then. So um, it only came yeah. out like a year later. Yeah, so um, and it's even the softness when he's talking to uh, like when Demare comes in looking for his job, like looking for his job for the day, and the way he's like, he's a good, mm-hmm. man. he's a good man, he's a good guy. What are you yeah. giving him shit for? Like when he's arguing with Totoro about yeah. it. Yeah, and and the, and and both the fact that they all like the Totoro and and Aiello, and I'm forgetting the name of the actor that plays Vito, but um, they all bounce he's off each other. They have like you can believe those guys are a family, like they really bounce off each other. Right. Really well. So yeah. I just think Absolutely. the dynamic they had, as much as I, was, I De Niro's. And he was De Niro was in a fucking bomb run of great movies at that time. Right. So yeah. he would have whatever De Niro was going to bring to the table was going to be great, and I'm sure we would not even be questioning the decision. And he probably would have been nominated himself. Probably for wouldn't even know who Di- Danny Aiello is, yeah. honestly, <laughs> if it wasn't for this film. So I know yeah. he's a famous actor, but he's a little before my time, and he just hasn't been in a lot of stuff that I've watched. I guess. Yeah. So yeah, I think except this, and he's great in it, yeah. and he deserves recognition. It's a great one. It's a very conflicted character. Yeah. And uh, Danny Aiello portrays that pretty perfectly. Yeah. Um, So uh, Black Klansman, I was just reading reading the wiki wiki thing. It just starts saying Ku Klux Klan, but it's Black Klansman. Um, Yeah. There's 96% of Rotten Tomatoes, uh, 7.5 out of 10 from IMDb, and 91% of Google users like the film. So even more universally loved by the Google Google thumbs up, thumbs down crowd. Yeah. and got the real great Rotten Tomatoes score. Yeah, it I, is more of a like traditional film mm-hmm. than I mean, Do the Right Thing took so many chances and hit on almost all of them except yeah. Spike Lee's acting. And yeah, so um I think people don't like being shaken like that. Uh, you know, the the average moviegoer doesn't like to be tested like that. Whereas you and I, you know, we watch films all the time and you know, like to like different. I mean, we don't want to go. We're not into popcorn movies, really. Yeah. I guess, or I'm not. I, I certainly. Am, <laughs> I know you like the yeah. Marvel ones, but um, 
Yeah, it's not even the Marvel ones so much. Guy. I'm like, you know, Star Wars. I love Star Wars movies. So I, I like movies that, you know, I movies for me are a full range. Like I like to be entertained and and be taken away to faraway lands and and escape. But then right. I, also, I also like love movies to inform me about things and really and and emotionally affect me about the real realness of the world too. So, and as much as. Star Wars has been co-opted by nerd culture. Like there is a bigger story to it and it is testing you more than like action. Like the average moviegoer going to see like the movie battleship or something like that, just because it has a bunch of action in it. That's what I mean when like people might've gone into, into a Spike Lee movie thinking it was just going to be a movie, but they're really, there's so many challenging points in the film that really make you think. And a lot of people in this country don't like to think. Yeah, and that's why it's I yeah, like you said before, like Black Landsman's ninety six percent. I'm surprised it's that high. I I actually don't. Know. I am too. Yeah. Yeah. I but then I think about how much like I was watch I watched it again just tonight before we podcasted, so it was really fresh in my mind. And it's like it's getting better all the time as I watch it. Like um, both rewatchable. Yeah, and and just how powerful like how I get keep saying that soundtrack hits. How it builds to what like it's it's got like it's good comedic moments like Adam Driver and John David Washington are really like really great together, um, and so there's a real great dynamic there. And then the yeah the acting's great. The even the guy like like we said before the the clan members as despicable as their characters are played really well as well. Um, Ivanhoe yeah I mean, it makes me laugh all especially when Adam Driver like there, he says something that's horrific. Ivanhoe does mm. and Adam Driver kind of like breaks for a second and looks at him like pissed because yeah. he's just like like that was his natural reaction and then he just like gives him like a little ruffle like, of the head. hair yeah ruffle <laughs> of the hair and he's just like, oh. it's like <laughs> yeah it makes me laugh there's been a lot of Ivanhoe, Ivanhoe imitations on this podcast that I wasn't expecting we were very happy about <laughs> just make your tongue really big yeah, squint your eyes. Kind of like Martin Lawrence. Martin Lawrence says that and do the right thing. He just sticks his tongue out the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> like, he paid $100 for those. 108 after tax. I was like, <laughs> yeah, man, I wish I could get some Jordans for $108 right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I yeah. This is, it's interesting. Black Klansman's score, I was, I was actually surprised it was that much higher. than. I mean, they're both in the 90s, so it's great. It's not that fine, much higher, but, but yeah. yeah. Um, Once you get into the nineties, every point is pretty, yeah. pretty powerful. Um, and I think it's just because it was such a, like I said, it ends so powerfully and it ratchets up like all the way from you know when they're at the, the meeting when they get initiated and then, uh, when John De- uh Ron Stallworth sees Connie leave with the bag and realizes what's going to happen, he chases after her and. I mean that whole scene. Um, just to finish up, like when he's trying to arrest her, and you see the cops turn up, and like she just starts so yelling. Frustrated. Yeah, you think, yeah, you think the worst. Yeah, so it's good filming. Yeah, and 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 you can imagine it's very realistic too because he's a he's not dressed in his in his you know blues, so he's he's just a looks like a like a black guy accosting a white woman, and like and then that's part of the systemic racism is the cops don't listen. They don't they don't think they don't think to like when the guy says I'm an undercover cop, and he sounds you know he obviously sounds very legit about it. They don't listen because they just listen to the white woman going. He tried to rape me. He you know he's, he right. attacked me, and they just that's another thing is those like false accusations. Mm-hmm. That, I mean that's a little window into that. I mean I mean look at the Emmett Till murder yeah and yeah i mean that's i mean that was disproven i mean the lady straight up came out and said it later yeah well the, the story they're talking cunt. about um 
uh, the, uh, I'm blanking on the name of the the guy from the the Waco thing that Harry Belafonte's character is talking about in um, in Black Klansman, but that was again a case of someone being accused of something they didn't do, like a 17 year old black kid being uh, lynched for uh, right. uh, Jesse yeah. Was- Jesse Washington. Um, yeah, yeah lynched that was for, very real. Lynched for, yeah, so. And again, yeah. he was mentally mentally challenged. Yeah, and so yeah. he couldn't like even defend himself. Mm-hmm. And like a seventeen-year-old mentally challenged and what, four, four person minute, isn't going to rape four. anyone. Yeah, a four-minute jury four as minute. well. Yeah. yeah, so just yeah. ridiculous. And yeah, so that that ending of the film really shows like how easy it could have been, and it's lucky that you know Flip turned up and you know said, "What the fuck are you doing?" Like, yeah, that is an undercover copy of the truth. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, Adam Driver is fantastic. Again, it kind of sucks well. because, uh, I mean, it is Spike Lee directing it, but, like, it's a white man saving a black man. It's kind of a tired trope in this country because it was, I mean, Ron is the reason all that all that change happened and all that, and the whole case happened, so. Yeah, but I guess in that sense, like, the trope isn't, it's not like a white savior thing because Ron is the one that actually saved It is him. a little bit. But, no, but how how else is he going to... Like he's, it's just his word against a white woman. So until the until an actual cop turns up and backs him up, that is, that's part of systemic racism. Is you don't actually believe the black guy until the white guy backs him yeah. up. So yeah, I don't white savior roles. I'm not going to accuse Spike Lee of doing that in this because it's actually just unfortunately how it's going to be in this country until we get rid of the very system. This is why we're having these protests right now. Is because. No one, yeah. no one does believe a black guy until until a white guy sticks up for him. That's what the problem. Why is. did he? Why did Ron not have his badge? A he did. Thing. It was in his pocket. He did. They weren't letting him uh, get. He was trying to. He he's telling him he's like my badge is in my pocket. Let me. Can I reach for it? And the guy beats him in the stomach with the baton instead. So he has his badge. It's just obviously in his pocket because he's undercover. But he has it with yeah, him. It, he's saying it's in his yeah. pocket. They're just not listening. Yeah, and that just shows the cops don't listen, like yeah. you said. So yeah. Um, yeah, Flip had to turn up to, and you know, unfortunately, that's just the real, real reality of the so situation what, that we're still, yeah, we're you're still late, or that's what you said, you're late. Yeah, <laughs> um, but you know, like I, they, he walks into the, you know, later on when they're showing the happy scene in the office, when they're all high fiving him when he walks in, the case is done. They're, they're high fiving him and celebrating him because they know he, it, this all started right. because because he. He picked up the phone and called David Duke, which all that stuff is very real. The, even the right down to the, yeah. are you sure? He did. He yeah. He really had all those conversations with David Duke on the phone, and, re, and he even did. Say, he said like he needled him and said, "Would you know?" Like that. All those conversations actually happened. Right. So that's really cool to know that it actually happened, and David Duke got fucked over like that because, yeah. Right. He's a he's a grade A piece of shit. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But yeah, really, really happy we had this chat. It's um, you know, it's something um we're trying to deal with in our own position of being a couple of white guys with the, the inherent white privilege that we, as part of how we were born and grown up, that we have. Um, but we're trying to do everything we can just to learn and listen and understand what we can do to actively be anti-racist and and just to help the cause. We know we. C- we know like our role in this is to listen and learn and understand how we can help us not to say how it should be dealt with because we're not the ones living with the experience. So Yeah, we're not yeah. trying to co opt anything. We're yeah. just trying to understand and 
help in any little way we can. Obviously, we wanted to keep doing this, doing our podcast, which we mm. do every week, but it just would seem insincere to not do something, um, not speak about this and choose films that speak about what we're going through. Yeah. And uh, so, again, we weren't trying to co-opt any movement or anything like that. We were just trying to uh, yeah. continue the narrative and learn and understand from what's going on. Yeah, and yeah, and we we have, we don't make any money from the podcast anyway. And if we did, I'd be donating it all right now. So, um, I've obviously I've made a few personal donations, and I'll probably make another one um, to um, some of the funds. Um, certainly, like Black Lives Matter and stuff, on behalf of the podcast as well. Just to a lot of bailout funds yeah. right now, which are important in a lot of big cities um, that you can find pretty much anywhere. Um, yeah, I've uh, got ACLU I've... is never bad. Uh, NWACP is never bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I've got like our Instagram website link at the moment is just straight to Black Lives Matter. But I'll put um, the show notes of this one. I'll put a bunch of links just to all the different funds. I think there's a uh, there's a card through the Black Lives Matter website that actually links to just all the different has sections for the different bail funds, the memorial funds, the different yeah, all those different ones that you've mentioned are in like there's one card that has been shared often on Twitter, um, which I'll have to put in the notes just that that kind of directs you to where to go. And just helps you, like, because it is hard, like, um, it's overwhelming to know which where to put them, your donations, and just wherever you can, even a little bit helps, obviously. So, um, you know, you can spread you. If you've got only a little bit to spend, spend then find one that um, just, yeah, ask your friends. Um, look at the, I know Andrea was looking at GoFundMes that didn't ha- that hadn't quite hit their goals yet. She was just going for those ones. And, you know, everyone's, mm-hmm. as long as you're donating and, and even just re- retweeting and learning and, and sharing yeah, and sharing gross. stories, sharing stories and, and, and being, um, you know, a positive, a positive advocate for, for the movement and everything is just, um, yeah, you know, donate what you can, but Protest. say, say donate. yeah, donate, exactly. Sign petitions. Yeah. I think I said in there. It all matters. Yeah, I think I said now, like in the post I put on on um, Instagram, is that your your voice your voice costs nothing, so use it. Um, and then you know, if you've got the money to spare to be able to donate, then that's great as well. But you know, the very very thing you do have is your voice and ability to share and share and promote all the advocacy and and be an act an active anti racist and try to dismantle the system that's been um, part um, been a dark blight on our world for far too long um, for our entire history, basically. So. It's got to change and you can be a part of it so yeah so yeah we raise our points to to uh, spike lee's do the right thing and and black klansman we also raise it to black lives matter and everyone um fighting the good fight around the world right now it's inspiring to see and um yeah let's let's dismantle the system so, yeah <laughs> one step at a time yeah but yeah until next week we'll um pour some pints roll some film pop some corn and Black Lives Matter. We'll catch you next week, Shane. Two slices.